Welcome to the T's and C's. Tisa and Chantel. Also known as the Terms and Conditions. This is a trigger warning to let you guys know that this episode at times contains conversations and sensitive material that people might find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another week of Surviving Society's The Reflection. This is a special alternative to Women's Hour Reflection and I'm really, really buzzing to be joined by Ez of the Echo Chamber podcast who... If you are a listener to the podcast, you know she's not only podcast alumni, she's also an absolute star and someone that we rate highly. She is a scholar, an advocate for black working class women. She works on young women, gangs and cities. To me, you're like a mental health advocate as in the way that you talk about these things. Like, I don't know, how do you get to be defined as a mental health advocate? Scholar. <laughs> What's that? So I, go, I think I prefer that to scholar. Scholar? Oh, you're a you're a scholar. I don't know about all that, but I definitely in <laughs> mental health advocate. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think in terms of the official title, I don't know how someone gets that, but I do think that um, it is a big focus of mine, um, based on my own experience and the young women that I work with. It is a big focus of mine, mental health and wellness. So we're going to just talk about the fact that it's Mental Health Week and that we're in the middle of a lockdown and a global pandemic. I feel very, very fortunate to have Ez as a friend because Ez is one of the people that I sort of check in with intermittently and particularly have been during this time. And we were talking in the pre-chat about how much of a roller coaster this period has been in terms of mental health it's been mad it's been like it's been really for me personally it's been a real yo-yo um in terms of my output levels my productivity just my like so what week are we in now week 10 I think week 9 week 9 or 10 yeah so I think that it's been a real um I think I spent the first four weeks just adjusting to the fact that I'm at home, just adjust, like literally just getting into that new routine of actually I'm at home, actually I'm not able to do what I've been doing, I'm not able to work in the way that I've been working. But then also the young women that I'm working with remotely, just a major shift in services, so much of the support that they they access in regards to their mental health and well-being is outside, is face-to-face, is through kind of activities that they're doing not from the home um so I'm just I think I'm hyper aware and then as a student as well deadlines I'm just hyper aware of just the major shift in where I've had to be inside myself um in order to deal with all of those changes and I can only think about what that's like for everybody else like I was talking to my partner about this last night about how you sort of begin to get into a space of this is shit and then you're like you're quickly like but it's so much worse for so many other people. Like these sorts of things, like the lockdown, it does affect everyone. But as we've been saying on the podcast, it is not at all evenly felt. Like thinking about the young women that you work with, thinking about students in particular that are in precarious living conditions, just thinking about people that are in our immediate world. Like I can't think about it too much because it like makes me want to cry. <laughs> like I feel even emotional now talk about it because... 
people are in such such precarious and often abusive difficult situations and not having the freedom to leave the home or leave your area is just I can't even I don't have the words to begin to explain how difficult that must be or is at the moment particularly people on the margins I think actually so much of um for my from in my life so much of what I access to support me are healthy distractions from myself from my mind I think I advocate for like yes it's important to be with ourselves mindfulness all of that the healthy distractions have kept me sane and kept me going when you're stuck in your four walls and again like you said for me it's my it's my counsel that with my mother who also has her own mental health needs so when you're when I'm being stuck in a situation like that and then thinking about so many people that are in similar situations and worse situations to me um, I can only imagine and then again mental health services being so stretched it's challenging thinking about young women in particular thinking about that age between sort of like 15 and 25 basically and I was saying to you that I feel like the echo chamber podcast is such a good resource for women just to feel like they can be vulnerable and to feel like they can talk about things that have been either frowned upon or they don't feel like they've had the space to do it or the capacity in themselves to think of sexual health sexual violence thinking about gender politics thinking about sexism thinking about patriarchy like all these different things that you and jade cover on the podcast and it made me think about in particular i've been thinking about these people that don't have yet have the tools to talk about those things that you guys talk about during the lockdown so thinking about myself for example like I grew up in a very abusive household and if I'd had like the mental health resources and I feel like your podcast is a mental health resource just with me talking through what was happening in my life how how much easier that would have made things for me or not easier but it would have just given me some visibility on issues that I was experiencing there are so many that are sort of our age that are sort of reconciling and recovering I know you talk about this a lot and I just wish that we there was more ways that we could access those sort of childhood versions of ourselves um that are that are at home that are in difficult homes that are in difficult situations these are women since I've been so um Jade and I speak about this often I think that the conversations that we have were very much birthed out of crisis so we had to reach crisis to seek to understand ourselves and what the hell is going on like what is what is going on why am I struggling what what's happening here we started having those conversations from those conversations, it resonated with people. And when I think about the younger women that I work with, or younger women just in my life in general, I think that it's really important that they have access to, to that level of vulnerability, or they see older women. So something I didn't see, I think a multitude of reasons why, but something I didn't see much of was older black women that looked like me, that spoke like me, that had the same background as me, being vulnerable, talking about the struggles, talking about actually some days I can't get out of bed. Some days, yes, I'm out doing kind of superwoman chronicles, but then some days actually I'm not, I don't feel able to, or I didn't see that growing up. And I think that if I had seen it growing up, more of it, particularly the idea of a dark-skinned black woman, the idea of someone that looks like me 
not always being strong. It just, it wasn't conceivable in my mind growing up. And I'm glad whenever I hear that younger, younger women are listening to us and, and being able to draw something from it, I'm glad. But even, even with that said, I think for us, it's just cathartic. We're just, we're literally working through, we're, we're working through all of the issues that we have and having conversations about it. So powerful. And just listening to you talk, then it it makes me think about, obviously, like on your podcast, on this podcast, we talk about the shortcomings in society. And we talk about how these shortcomings have um, economic, social and cultural impacts on black communities, people of colour, working class people. Like that is what we, that's what we all like spend a lot of time talking about. When hearing you talk reminds me that we do have to celebrate some of the milestones that we have in terms of representation. So like you're a contributor um, to Black Ballads, for example, and you and Jada, and like that platform is just absolutely, it's just so, so brilliant. And just again, like another thing that I wish I'd had and talking from your perspective, experience there as like having an outlet or various outlets like not just Black Ballad even like, thinking about Instagram Twitter or Twitter to an extent um having like dark-skinned black women talk about vulnerabilities talk about not being strong being able to be human or whatever that category means with regards to blackness thinking about various injustices that we spend a lot of time talking about but I'm also this mental health week thinking about how things have changed not enough and representation isn't enough as we know but we have to sort of take those wins um as Angela Davis reminds us what are those wins what are those what are those wins that we can see um in our lives yeah Joey wrote um a newsletter for Black Brothers a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about DIY culture yes off the back of Yusuf's talk at Stuart Hall Foundation for months back. Anyone that listens to the pod will know that I'm, I am probably the more cynical, <laughs> I'm probably sit on the more cynical side of the fence when it comes to progress and that conversation. However, um, when I think about how much innovation, how much creativity, how much we are doing for ourselves in this very kind of niche working class black mm. environment, um, and not not just black, actually, but like in I feel like when I think about everything that we have created, all of the resources that we have created, that um, even though they didn't exist, they they weren't like mainstream services weren't tailored to us. So I think there are so many different avenues that we have said actually this is our way of a expressing, b connecting and providing support for each other. I've been thinking a lot about that during this time period, even like podcasts podcasting articles I've got access to so many things that support me to see myself uh, and in seeing myself support me to manage my mental health things have shifted as cynical as I might be and as kind of critical as I might be things definitely have shifted right that's enough progress talk now let's bring on the critic (laughs) no I'm only joking no I hear you and I think you just articulated what I was trying to say much much better as as per your very very succinct speaker um you start well you speak very succinctly as that's one of the reasons why I think you're amazing and clear one of the things that I was really keen to get your take on and I guess it might be one of the reasons why I sort of disengage from weeks like mental health week and I mean like we did we did a podcast together about like black history month like we don't like 
I feel like we're in agreement that we don't really like these tokenistic things. Well, we see them as tokenistic, basically. And I was trying to figure out why, what it is about Mental Health Week that I um, find difficult. And I was recently reading Imogen Tyler's uh, Stigma, The Machinery of Inequality. And she talks about the corporatization um, and the privatization of mental health services. And that being basically government cuts to mental health services, whilst at the same time, corporations talking like they care about mental health and even like the royal family like being advocates for like the mental mental health um and it's like all those things and it kind of it feels like the, the the public discourse on mental health is a bit of a tool for white supremacy like I know that sounds it might sound a bit of a reach but it feels very it's a, it's a certain type of mental health we're talking about this week. It's a classed mental yeah. health. Like, when you hear people talk about, oh, has the stigma of mental health changed? Like, as it, as it adapts, I'm like, for me, I think it might have got worse. Like, you guys seem to have less tolerance for people. But then a cynical version of me is very similar to you, as on that. million percent with you on that. So even, like, mental health week, I think about that. I think, what does that actually mean? For me, like for me in my context, I think about demanding that I've grown up around that battle with various different mental health issues. I think, do they even know it's mental health week? Do they even care if it's mental health week? I think about the fact that weeks like this, they have no material benefit to people like me, in my view. They don't, even in terms of like solidarity or like, being seen or being being recognised or your issues being recognised, I personally, as someone that has got my own struggles with mental health and people in my family similarly, I personally don't see myself. I know that I even exist in a very, like, specific place. So I'm, I'm lucky and fortunate enough to have a level of exposure to kind of resources or articles or whatever it is uh, that are coming out to support people this week. Um, but most people in my life don't have that so it don't really mean anything I also go on to think that on what you said about whiteness it is the corrosive nature of whiteness anything that touches it infects and it it colonizes it makes it oh this is what it looks like this is how it looks like to to combat the stigma against mental health this this is what people with mental health look look and sound like this is what their struggle and it's always very contained it's always very very polished in my view um Mm. where the experiences that I see in the community that I'm from or in the kind of social settings that I'm in Mental health doesn't look like what what I'm what I'm seeing. Um, hashtag mental health on Twitter at the moment. Just listening to you talk, as I to- I agree. Yeah, God, white supremacy and mental health as a form of co- colonising. Like that's that's another podcast we have to do on that. That's brilliant. It's making me think about you talking about different communities and different ways of different ways of managing and negotiating mental health, and it's making me think about the class dynamics. And even though we can talk about the sort of elites and how they've um, conceptualised mental health, also just thinking sort of like interpersonally between working class family members or people that we know that have had, yeah, a more marginalised economic experience. I wanted to talk to you about how much space do working class people have to talk about mental health and does that lack of space mean that it becomes more stigmatized because there are other things to focus on there are other 
emergencies and I think you guys have spoken so eloquently on about this on the podcast like the class dynamics of mental health mean that as you say the issue at hand the issue of of having mental health issues doesn't get tackled until it's too late yeah because I'm just thinking I get really angry I'll be honest I get really angry thinking about so I am 27 I don't know if I have shared this on echo chamber or anywhere but I am in the process of getting a mental health diagnosis what is most likely what it's looking like is it will be some form of personality disorder borderline personality disorder is the likely diagnosis that I'm gonna be given that's at 27 my mum had a psychotic breakdown in her 50s and was not diagnosed with any form of like official mental health um, label until she was in her 50s and had raised four children Mm. and all of the implications that come with that and I feel that it is it makes me very angry engaging with all that all of the symptoms were there all of the like the trauma everything it's all been there but I think that there is just a way that in schools in colleges in every institution that I've engaged with throughout my life there is a way there is an expectation of how someone is treated how you label someone like having issues having mental health issues or being difficult or and all of these different kind of very nuanced and like subtle ways that actually like you've mentioned in my life I did not see I didn't see any of my issues as issues because there were bigger issues at play yeah so actually the internal workings what was happening with my mind what was happening with my with my emotional um regulation or lack thereof all of that stuff doesn't really matter because there are bigger things at play there and in my in not just in my family but I feel like in people around me when there's not gas or electric when there's not balanced meals on the table when there are like your basic human needs are not being met your well-being is not the forefront and and you and understanding the relationship between those two things so understanding actually how not having these things in place not having my basic human needs impacts my mental health there is just such a lack of understanding and it makes me very angry because I feel like what happens is you live in survival for a very long time. Um, you end up living in survival. And because you look to your left and you look to your right and everyone around you is also in some form of survival, you normalise it. And that obviously has adverse effects on one's mental health. I I couldn't agree more. And I guess as well, some of the things your experience adds, like, it reminds me of um, how structures and institutions continue to fail black people and also brown people and people of colour as well. Like thinking about institutions and their lack of cultural competency in dealing with things like mental health and sort of positioning um, behaviours or ways of living in stereotypical ways, in ways that are stigmatising, in ways that just dismiss things as behavioural, like it's the amount of black women in particular that I meet that have had adult diagnoses of very, very, very acute and serious mental health, like daily debilitating issues. Like it's just unacceptable. And I know there are people working to to stop this delay in diagnosis, 
but it is it's just not enough like I can't I literally come across black women especially all the time that get this like that they get these like diagnoses I was really lucky that I got but only because I had a severe breakdown that when I was yeah 16 17 that I got a diagnosis of manic depression but then it wasn't until I was and we've spoken about this before as but and I've spoken about on the podcast it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s I'm only 27 now so it's only like three years ago that I found out that I was high function ADHD and that I had dyslexia and I had dyspraxia and all those things affect your mental health as well and do you know what I mean Ez like you knew that something wasn't right in your head and for so long you think that it's like some sort of innate racialized thing which is absolute bollocks or you think it's something that's individual to you and of course it is individual to you but it, there's ways to combat it there's ways to deal with it like I mean I happen to think that my ADHD is actually a gift to me but equally it can be an absolute burden but the way I was was always dismissed in ways that black women get dismissed it's, it's making me angry because it. it's, 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 we're navigating all of this stuff internally whilst also navigating the violence of institution and the racism of institutions so it's like it's that internal and external battering actually is what's happening yes. so internally like you said you know something's not quite right you know actually my the way I'm responding or reacting to this over a period of time you start to realize oh this may be something's going on here so there's that going on and figuring that out and learning how to regulate that learning how to self-soothe in healthy ways there's all of that that's going on but then there's also whilst you're doing that you're in the the institutions that you're engaging with are also there's another version of violence or there's another version of like squeezing us essentially And even the institutions that we go to to get that support. So even in terms of like the NHS and the way that I know that myself and so many other black women have been dealt with through the NHS when it comes to mental health services, are not they're not fit for purpose for people that look and sound and act like me. Um, generally speaking, I, do, I again I've, I have to acknowledge that there has been progress, and I have to acknowledge that like like I said, I'm 27 in the process of getting the diagnosis. My mum got to 50 plus before she was even considered to have sorts of needs. So there has been progress. I don't want to say that there hasn't been, but it's really understanding what that means for people like me every single day. So what does this mean every single day in everything that I do, in every um, person, human being that I encounter, in my interpersonal relationships, in my professional relationships, in the things that I do in my life? How does this manifest? How does this thing manifest? And how is it being accommodated for by the world or the society that I live in? And as we see, it's not being accommodated for. As we see currently, um, when it comes to my version of mental health and people that look and sound like me, that it's not being accommodated for, in my view. Oh, sorry, listeners. It was always going to be a difficult one. Hopefully this has reached someone that maybe needed to hear this kind of critique. Well, analysis during mental health week thank you so much as for your brilliant brilliant articulations on this as per you will hear from us again next week thank you so much guys um thanks for listening guys bye, bye.